This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. This is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thank you for joining us. So I want to start off this week's podcast with a somewhat startling stat. There are over 11 million undocumented people in the United States. Now, as you can imagine, if you're undocumented in in the U.S., there are any number of basic human rights that you simply don't have access to. What's more, reaching this population is pretty difficult, because as you can imagine, if you're undocumented in the U.S., you don't necessarily want to be giving out, you know, your Twitter handle left and right, trying to build followers and reputation. Welcome to episode 15, where we're talking with United We Dream, that's working on this kind of exact project to reach this population and help them register for the services that they are, uh, that do qualify for. Uh, We're talking with Adrian, the data and technology manager at United We Dream, And they're doing something very interesting by using text messaging to help this population and reach this population get access to the services that they need and that they're qualified for. Let's jump into the interview. All right, we are here with uh, United We Dream, and I am talking with Adrian. Can you tell us uh, who you are and what you do? Hi, folks. My name is Adrian, and I am the Data and Technology Manager for United We Dream. Awesome. And this is a, a wonderful organization. Can you tell us what United We Dream is trying to do? Yeah, sure. So United We Dream is the first and largest immigrant youth network in the U.S. Uh, with 25 States represented with 52 affiliates uh, across the country, and our main mission is to uh, advocate for the rights of immigrant youth and their families, right, and many ways that we do that is advocating for institution uh, access to education uh, at the state levels, uh, advocating for pathways to citizenship and relief for families of undocumented youth, uh, and fighting back deportations uh, of many, many of our community, our community members. Can you tell us a bit about how you got, a, got involved and why this issue matters to you? So I, for me, early 2009 when I, went to, when I went to college, I think that was the moment for me. I grew up in Texas. We've had its situation for quite a while, and again, its situation is just uh, the cost at which undocumented students can attend in public universities in a state. Usually those, that institution is only granted to U.S. citizens, but um, it is not granted to those who are undocumented regardless of how long you've lived in that state. So Texas was the first one to grant that. So uh, for me, getting into college and having that access wasn't so bad, but then sort of realizing that, hey, like I'm not eligible for it pretty much no kind of scholarship really was available to me. And that's when it really hit me that I needed to do something about it. Gotcha. So help me out. So there's a, you know, a little over 11 million undocumented uh, people in the United States. And what is it 
from the, the technology standpoint, what the heck does technology have to do with, uh, you know, immigration rights? You know, how, how do you approach that as far as how you measure it and what you're looking to do? So I think one of the most important things to know is that uh, just at the point where technology is right now, right, our, we're so interconnected, right, uh, on that, the undocumented community, right, it's a pretty transient community, it's moving around so much, so there's many factors, right, that play into it. From staying in communication with them and staying in communication with our constituency and our base, uh, is one of the factors, right, that we have to be thinking about. The other thing that we need to think about, right, is to really ensure that as we're fighting for access to all sorts of things, right, like access to education, access to work permits, to programs like the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals that was announced in 2012, we have to make sure that the people that we're serving, that we know sort of where they're at, what are the things that we need to be contributing to help them achieve their goals, and I think those are the two most critical points that we think about when we think of bridging our social justice work and technology and data, uh, bringing those two things together. out there is your use of SMS, right? Text messaging. So can you tell me and describe just a bit about uh, how you're using text messaging to reach this population? Folks that are reaching out a lot of the United Between Network services are pretty young folks, right? And they all sign up for SMS uh, alerts and text messages. So what we do, uh, particularly around our program of the DACA Renewal Network, DACA Renewal Network, right, is a uh, program that we have set up in a way that folks sign up online uh, to receive more information regarding their case. And the only thing that we really ask for to provide people with customized alerts and customized uh, help is their expiration date, right? Um, very recently, the Department of Homeland Security and USCIS released the final guidelines for the renewal process. So there's a lot of implications to people not reapplying within a certain time frame. So what we do is, based on the expiration date that they provide to us, we have an automated scheduled system that will communicate with folks on the ground in terms of your, uh, if the application time frame for them to reapply is coming up, make sure that we let them know. We also send them alerts of how much money they should be saving up if they haven't started to. So that's one of the number one priorities in our plate right now, right? It's ensuring that people don't fall out of status. People do fall out of status. A lot of the applications are great, right? They can lose their work authorization. They can lose, uh, if they acquired a driver's license, they could lose that, and they could even be back under the threat of deportation. So I'm curious, you're sitting there in the room, and why not just use email? 
to, to send out these, these notes or just have it on like a website for people? Why, why text messaging? One of the number one things are, well, definitely numbers don't lie, right? Uh, most of our engagement has been through SMS. It continues to be a pretty steady subscription uh, place. With emails, we tend to have a lot of unsubscribes. It, it could be plethora of reasons why like, people just don't want to receive emails. But other than that, like, I think uh, the most interesting point that we found recently with one of our, uh, we did a small ana analysis of our list. Um, we started to find that we had a lot of people signed up to our email program, and these are again pretty significantly young, uh, significantly young population. When we were cross, making a cross reference of the actions or or things that they were taking action online, weren't necessarily coming through by opening an email, right? So it was either from social media or having redirected from the link that we had sent out on an SMS message. For us specifically, our SMS program has proven very effective. Um, there's very little drop-off rate, right? Like folks actually remain very engaged through the process, which is great to see that. So can you give us some top-line numbers of how many people are signed up, and then what sort of health metrics you are using with regard to SMS, obviously you can't necessarily tell if somebody opens it, but we know that from industry standards we have well over 95% open rates. So what are, the, what are some of these total numbers? Yeah, sure. So, so far we have 25,000 people who have signed up for the Baccarino network. Uh, that includes around 15% uh, of those folks that are just overall folks who are, don't have DACA, right, but want to remain informed in terms of what's going on with the whole DACA process. But for those other folks, some of the some of the key sort of benchmarks that we have and some of the trends that we've seen is we try to make it as engaging as possible to always have an action for people to take, right? From very little from uh, tell us if you have actually been able to submit um, if now you have the money to submit your renewal uh, after we know that their submission or their renewal window is actually now, we actually had a pretty high return in terms of people that texted back saying, yeah, I actually have the money ready, like I want to get this going, I just need to know where to go to get it done kind of deal. We had a little over 50% on the first week after the, after, the, after the renewal process was announced, which is great, right? That's the biggest sort of engagement percentage that we had so far for any of our SMS programs. One of the things that we definitely are grounded on is that this may very well be the low-hanging fruit, right? I think the big challenge ahead is figuring out the real sort of outreach that we need to do in terms of like referring friends and tell us if you know someone who has DACA but you know they're not signed up kind of deal so that we can get those people who actually need a little bit extra push to ensure that they stay on track. One of the biggest learnings that we've had is really, uh, again, also staying grounded on the fact that what we do is to build a relationship with people on the ground. 
and really ground sort of all of our efforts and our engagement strategies around that. Remembering, right, that yeah, like our people do come from a place of fear and people have had to be in the shadows for a really long time. And for all we know, this may very be the first time that someone gets to say that they're undocumented, right, even if it's through a text. Uh, so yeah, you're totally right. I think it, there's a level of personalization that needs to go into things for them to work effectively, and I think we we really are conscious around that. Obviously, we know that like everything, like this call is probably being recorded, right? Everything we do is just like you know really big brothered pretty hard. So we're like, how? How are you bridging that trust? How are you dealing with security and your communication? Uh, how do you do it? First off, one of the things that we do when people are signing up, uh, in the very first email back or in the very first communication that we have with them, we always let them know that, one, this is a safe space, right? We try to reassure people that, yeah, this is safe. Uh, in terms of the back end, one of the very, we kind of have had set everything up in a way that it's attorney super, supervised, right? So that there's like this attorney privilege kind of thing where like nobody can really look at people's data and people's information uh, because you're right, it is pretty sensitive, right? I mean, if they're giving us their expiration date, that's an, that's, that's an exact reference to, hey, I'm undocumented, I have a work permit that comes from uh, deferred action. First, we'll, we rely a lot on our vendor, right, yeah. to make sure that that information remains safe. Everything is pretty hermetic around here at UWD. Um, we try to minimize the number of people that have access. The amount of data transfer that we have, right, so it's important that this data is maintained in one place as much as possible, just for that purpose, right? Uh, a lot of times the issue of having to migrate data between other vendor and other database spaces does come up, but we try to be very conscious in terms of security. Yeah, so you do have the location data on people. Are you doing anything with regard to analyzing these numbers, uh, you know, trying to judge anything about uh, the behaviors or anything like that with regard to the states you're working in and the fact that you have the billing addresses? Yeah, so we it comes in a range, right? So one, we use location data very specifically in terms of uh, are there on-the-ground resources or are there not? If they're not, we have developed through a partnership with one of our uh, partners, the Immigration Advocates Network, a uh, pro-state tool, right, that is an online tool where people or in remote areas, right, that are outside of the urban spaces where this organizing on the ground happens, that they have access to that. So we do specific targeting to people that are outside of those urban spaces uh, to have access to this. But we also try to do one of the things that we're beginning to do, and this is still sort of in the, in the testing phase, but we're trying to figure out how far away, like, how much do people actually travel to a place that offers resources, right? So we have we have been partnering with a lot of legal service providers right on the ground that obviously have more capacity than UWD to provide this, uh, this help to people. And what we do is we kind of do the recruitment and the outreach, right, for these events that they host. 
Uh, and one of the things that we started to notice, and particularly around California, people that were out, not a lot of Google service providers work around those urban spaces, but surprisingly when we were targeting people outside of California, outside of the LA County area, Orange County area, to attend some of the services there, we were having people that were coming 15, 75 miles away, right, literally driving an entire hour, hour and a half, two hours into the city to be able to have this, this help. So I think that shines the light on the fact that people actually do need this, this help. And so we know, right, that a lot of these people probably, a lot of our community probably doesn't have even driver's license to get on a car and drive into the city for two hours. So what we're doing is this small research is just trying to show, right, that we need to be pushing a lot of these rural service providers out into rural spaces. Uh, that are pretty not conventional. Uh, a lot of times, this immigration work can be very centered around big urban spaces and not in rural spaces. What is the longer-term vision of how technology is going to play a role in eventually moving the needle on this issue? So one of the things is Eventually, right, we want to get to a place where we break the barrier of being undocumented, being something shameful, and being something that people can stand up and advocate for themselves. So remind to sort of beginning that step forward of communicating with people in terms of what it is, sharing our story, what it is to be undocumented, uh, what have we done, right, like how did other people begin this movement, those are all important, and I think the importance of knowing where our people are at, right, in terms of like data, why is uh, important and goes tied into that. And I guess the other thing is also, I mean, just to highlight this point, I was talking with somebody who was part of the 1986 immigration package that happened, and uh, there was a lot of implementation work around that. But surprisingly, there was a lot of drop-offs. There was a lot of people who were not coming forward to be able to fix their status, right? And so one of the biggest learnings from that implementation round was that two people who never followed up with, right? So people took one one step to initiate uh, their process, but then they never heard back from them, so they never knew at what point they dropped off. And I think with the work that we're doing at UWD, we've really managed to figure out a way to ensure that that doesn't happen again, and it's all been thanks to the technology advancements that there are today. That's great, not letting anybody fall through the cracks. Um, you know, all the all the best at which you're working on, it's a fantastic application of text messaging, and I hope you continue to grow it. Thanks so much. Uh, how do people find you? How do people help you? Yes, so visit us online at www.unitedwedream.org or you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and uh, on our website you can find our local affiliates if you're down to get involved uh, with folks there or sign up for our email alerts and we will get you. Uh, in the loop of what's going on and immigrant youth issues. Yeah, certainly one of the leaders in the space, and thank you again for joining us. They go right
What United We Dream is doing with text messaging is absolutely fantastic. And it's not because I'm a, a huge fanboy of SMS, but you know I am. But if you really think about it, they're doing a lot of little things right here. They're using the right technology to reach an audience where they are on devices that they have. They're adding value, so like a reason to sign up instead of saying, hey, just sign up so we can send you more garbage. And they're building trust. This wouldn't work, let's say, if, you know, the, the NSA suddenly put out a service people could sign up for. Uh, well, unfortunately, they're probably listening anyway. But it wouldn't work because the trust would not be there. Uh, I think there's a lot more potential with where they can take the system, and I'm excited to see what they do. Again, the resources from today's podcast can be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. As always, thanks for listening. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast. And consider following us on Twitter at wholewhale. And thanks for joining us. Special music thanks today to a band called Bifan, based out of Brooklyn, and their bass guitarist also happens to be Whole Whale's front-end whaler. Uh, so thanks to Simon and Bifan. Check them out if you're in Brooklyn.